I've got a maximalist view on this. I've sort of self-radicalized, but it's not just that advisors have to compete with banks and insurance companies and fintechs and Google for the distribution of financial products. And I think the opportunity for advisors there is money in motion is um, a sales trigger. Um, it is what tells you when somebody's having a financing event or a purchase. And so I think a smart integration into those streams of information, as well as transaction activity, can actually be the best way to introduce somebody naturally into a financial product around th their point of intent. back, relax, and enjoy episode 117 of the Wolf Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskowitz, the founder and CEO of Ezra Group Consulting. Over the past 16 years, we've worked with hundreds of fintech vendors and enterprise wealth management firms to guide them towards making better business and technology decisions. If you are the CEO, CTO, COO, or other fintech executive with a software product that you're selling to RIAs, broker-dealers, asset managers, or other firms, run, don't walk to our website, EzraGroupLLC.com and click the button to schedule a discovery session. Our Wealth Tech research team can deliver a wide range of market insights for your firm, including competitive analysis, addressable and obtainable market estimates, sales targeting, and insights on buying decisions, product strategy, and more. Every vendor needs this data to be successful, especially when entering new markets. And you can get on the right check by going to EzraGroupLLC.com. All right. The, the Wealth Tech Today podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices in technology for wealth management, asset management, and related areas. This episode is part of our November focus on alternative investments. And we're talking to influential industry leaders providing technology solutions that help advisors build strong relationships, improve outcomes, and enrich their clients' lives. A couple of housekeeping tasks before I forget. A quick shout out to our sponsor, the Invest in Others Foundation. Please go to investinothers.org. Please be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss future episodes. Now let's get this episode started. I'm happy to introduce our guest for this episode is Lex Sokolin, head economist at Consensus, a blockchain software company. Lex, how you doing, buddy? I am doing fantastic. I'm doing my best with the shadowy supercoder outfit. For those that are just <laughs> listening, I'm wearing a hoodie. Um, I'm very proud of myself for finally getting the uniform that Liz Warren would uh, would put on me. <laughs> She'll recognize you as yeah. being in crypto. That's how she knows. Yeah, exactly. There's no much, but she knows that. Hoodie equals crypto. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when, before I forget, Lex is also the founder of Advisor Engine. One of the founders, right? Yes, yes. One of the the founding team. Um, it's always fun to trace back kind of robo-advice to then fintech to uh, the evolution of fintech into decentralized finance. And uh, just want to ex express my uh, uh, affection for mm -hmm. wealth tech and the, the RA space. We love it as well. That's why we're here. It's all we do is wealth tech. It's the Wealth Tech Today podcast. It's the name of the podcast, man. So I, yeah, hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag, hashtag <laughs> Wolf Tech. Can you give us 30 second elevator pitch for consensus? 
Uh, is it, can I sigh for 29 seconds and then bail at the end? Yeah. So um, you should be pumped. This is, this is exciting, man. You, you, you escaped. Yeah, yeah, well no, of course, of course, of course, of course. Right? I wouldn't say escaped. I would say I was liberated from, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. It, so consensus is a blockchain software company. And so understanding what blockchain is, as well as what software is, is at the, at the heart of that. Um, I think, the highly stylized answer is that wealth tech and fintech are technologies that are primarily focused on the distribution of financial products. So, you know, selling portfolios, selling stocks, selling ETFs through uh, a, a tech technology enabled experience, whether it's with an advisor or whether it's in a mobile phone. Uh, Blockchain-based software flips it the other way. So blockchains are there for manufacturing. They're for making things. So what makes the the asset management product or the deposit product and so on. Uh, And then uh, Ethereum is a type of blockchain that runs all this financial software. And so um, kind of, again, you can think of trading, lending, banking, portfolio management, all this stuff being open source and run on a blockchain. Anyway, I assume you know that, and then consensus is at the heart of um, at the heart of this phenomenon of these programmable computational blockchains. We are we're a company that helps uh, users and developers build on top of computational blockchains like Ethereum, and more broadly, people call this Web three. Web three being the internet after the social internet, after Facebook, after Twitter. Sometimes people also call it the internet of value, uh, and so consensus helps people access Web3 um, through uh, what's called a crypto wallet, MetaMask, now over 16 million users. I'm going to pause there again, 16 million uh, monthly active users on MetaMask, Um, and then help developers write software, right? So write that uh, portfolio management, trading, rebalancing, lending, investment software um, through a bunch of uh, projects like Infura and Quorum used by JP Morgan and MasterCard and, and other large firms to, uh, to, to engage with these um, kind of next generation systems. So in part, it's hard to explain in 30 seconds without uh, contextualizing it, but you know, just uh, the, the short of it is that consensus helps people use blockchain-based software. I think that's about as concise a description as you can give in less than a day, right? It's, it's- <laughs> Considering what's going on and considering that, that we're going to have a very wide range of knowledge and people listening to this podcast, some people who are familiar with crypto and some people aren't, but certainly not, not at that level. It's, I think that was a pretty, pretty good overview. Yeah, I think so, um, a lot of folks think of crypto as this asset class of stuff. You know, they think of it as like, oh, there's timber and pork bellies and oil and crypto. Mm-hmm. And that's a very like you'd find in a BLT bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. Delicious, <laughs> exactly. Yes, and that's from trading uh, places. Don't you remember when he's explaining how commodities work? It's Eddie Murphy, and he goes, like a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. That's a fantastic reference. <laughs> I, 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 I know of the things you're referring to, but I can't, I can't confirm or deny whether uh, I'll, I I'll remember speak the in movie quotes yeah. the entire time if you let me. So I won't. So, so sorry, that's, go on. No, not at all. So, you know, so a lot of people because. The CFTC has kindly um, put the commodities label on Bitcoin um, kindly in the sense that it protects Bitcoin from some of the more uh, onerous things the SEC would would imply uh, on onto 
uh, Bitcoin and, and Ethereum. You know, so the CFTC labeling Bitcoin a commodity has a bunch of implications for people who run portfolios. Um, and that's all good, but it is a bit narrow in terms of what the, what the actual thing, the actual there there is. And in the same way that, you know, referring to the internet as a, you know, place to put text would be, would be wrong, right? The, the internet is not just a bunch of books stacked on top of each other, even mm-hmm. though that analogy might've been the, the answer in the beginning. Um, Web3 is, is not just a bunch of commodities that you trade around. It's, um, it's actually the, the whole economy just on a different chassis. Um, you know, so I forget where we're, where, where that came from. But I, I wanted to <laughs> you lost go on this tangent. There's so much going on. Yeah. Crypto, crypto. Yeah. So, um, you know, if, uh, that's what I'm saying. Like if some folks are think, think about crypto as commodities, but it is in fact a, a much more rich ecosystem now that pretty much every entrepreneur and, and college student are uh, trying to get into. Everyone's trying to get into it, but it doesn't mean it's a good idea, but there are some things that are good and some things that are bad, some things that relate to wealth tech uh, and, and in our industry and some things that won't. So, I mean, I, I think that MetaMask at some point will, and I think everyone should look into it, especially advisors who want to understand what a wallet is, want to understand how Ethereum works and, and MetaMask is, is the biggest you know, wallet around. So they should definitely look into it and do some reading on it because I know um, as... Um, as Rick Edelman says, you, just, you really need to be educated. Even if you're not investing in it, you need to know if you're, when your clients come to you and say, hey, what do you think of crypto? You, you should at least be able to give an intelligent answer. Yeah, and the nice thing about MetaMask is I think this stuff is much simpler than people make it out to be. Um, yeah, there, there's some janky interfaces here and there, but it's, it's a, a very intuitive uh, metaphor. You know, so we're all familiar with the Robo Advisor app, which puts financial advice into a phone or a website. Um, we're familiar with a neo banking app, which puts a bank account into a website or a mobile app. Um, we are familiar with a payments wallet, which is like Google Pay or Apple Pay, which puts a card into a mobile app. We're familiar with a super app, which combines a bunch of these financial primitives into one thing. And there's a lot of confusion, really, at the end of it. You know, what's the difference between SoFi and Chime and Square Cash App and PayPal um, and Apple Pay? They're all kind of converging on the same thing, um, which is your wallet. It's just your old leather wallet with a bunch of stuff in it and a bunch of cards and functionalities that that reflect your financial situation. Um, and we've always wanted to do this. You know, if you think about Mint and data aggregation and PFM and the net worth statements uh, that that advisors provide to clients. The, this is exactly the same idea of like people want to see their stuff in one place. They want it to function well and so on and so forth. Um, with a, a blockchain-based infrastructure, you call this a crypto wallet. The word crypto sounds scary, but that's uh, incorrect because mm-hmm. what it represents is the word encryption, uh, which means that it is safe. World War II was won mm. on encryption. And breaking uh, and, encryption. Know, and breaking encryption, exactly. And so you want maximum crypto. You want as much crypto as possible so that it is safe. Uh, you know, If you use a website 
with HTTPS on it and it's got a little lock in the corner, that means it's encrypted, mm -hmm. uh, which means it is a safe website to use. You know, so I would rather have encrypted money rather than just a bunch of stuff in a CSV file on a uh, on a on a custodian uh, FTP. Which you know, for those for those from Pershing or TD or Fidelity, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So a a crypto wallet is a way for a regular person or an institution to interact with addresses on blockchains, to interact with uh, monies and financial instruments that are native to blockchains. And the cool thing is that it's not just moving money around, it's paying for goods and services. So it is you know, not just your payments account and your bank account and your investment account, it is also your shopping cart and your payment gateway and your payment processor and all the stuff that, that FinTech is made of. Um, and so for sure, I think advisors need to understand the concept of crypto wallets and digital wallets to understand how their customers um, actually use uh, their, their funds. Yeah, it's all, it's all connected. And well, of course, we're not in the payment space, but payments do get involved and they do matter. You know, how you move your money around is involved and advisors need to be more holistic about all of their clients' money. I've been talking to advisors who are getting more into insurance and more into trust in the state and more into budgeting and, you know, CPAs and bringing it all into one. Like I saw a great presentation from Mariner and talking about they basically have everything, every aspect of your financial life, they've got someone on staff to help you with. And that seems to me more of a holistic point of view than, well, we just work with your assets. We're a broker dealer. We don't, you know, we sell stuff. You know, so it's, it's, you really yeah. need to understand where clients' assets are and, and, and more of a client's assets are moving into different crypto related infrastructure. Yeah, I think I abstracted even one layer up, which is it's not just, you know, and I've got a maximalist view on this. I've sort of self-radicalized, but it's not just that advisors have to compete with now banks and insurance companies and fintechs and Google for the distribution of financial products. You know, of course they have to do that today. Um, or, you know, with YouTube stars that are, that are selling things. But they also have to think about money in motion. So you've got products that are money at rest, and then you've got products that are money in motion. So when you pay or when you trade or when you transact, those are systems to move value around. And then when the money moves around, it stops at some point and it doesn't move anymore. And then it's at rest. And that's when it goes to a bank account or a savings product or you know a money market fund or an asset allocation. And so you know, advisors have historically been focused, and especially the the switch to fee based advisors have been a, a a switch from money in motions, transactional business to money at rest. Sort of, I'll manage your portfolio. Um, but we're in a world now where all the money in motion providers, including Visa, uh, you know, and PayPal, uh, as well as the crypto systems which move money by default. Uh, are all in the sort of game of what to do with your full financial picture, which is which is a very interesting competitive pressure. And I think the opportunity for advisors there is money in motion is um, a sales trigger. So it, it is what tells you when somebody's having a life event. Uh, 
Um, it is what tells you when somebody's having a financing event or a purchase. Uh, and so I think a, a smart integration into those streams of information as well as transaction activity can actually be the, the best way to introduce somebody naturally into a financial product around th their point of intent, uh, around the thing they actually want to do. Hey, I want to take a break from this episode to talk about our sponsor. The Invest in Others Charitable Foundation is a nonprofit that recognizes financial advisors for their exceptional charitable work. Their 15th annual Invest in Others Awards will be held digitally this year from September 20th through September 23rd. That's just eight days from now. Be sure to tune in each day at 4.45 p.m. Eastern time to watch as each award category winner is unveiled. You can watch on investinothers.org forward slash awards and there's no logins or passwords required. Now, I've been involved with Invest in Others for three, no, four years now. It's a great organization. They do a lot of good. Uh, please donate on the website, investinothers.org. I'm sure your company will match your donations. And almost every wealth management company that I know of is involved in Invest in Others. They do a, a, some fantastic work. Each finalist in the Invest in Others Awards receives a donation of $20,000, and the winners in each category, and I believe there are five categories, receive between $50,000 and $75,000 towards their nonprofit. And these are life-changing amounts for some of these organizations. And I've been uh, lucky enough to be part of the judging on some of these categories. And they're, uh, the, the categories are things like local community involvement, uh, international charitable work, um, uh, you know, uh, lifetime achievement awards, uh, things like that. So uh, they, they break it out in different ways, and it's really tough to, to pick the winners because there's so many good charities that are doing such good work, building schools, getting um, helping feed people, building orphanages overseas, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, makes me feel really inadequate. I really got to step up my, my volunteer game, but investinothers.org is a great uh, organization, great charity. You should check them out at their website. And uh, you don't want to miss their awards this year. And please tune in on their website, investinothers.org forward slash awards to find out who wins. I don't know who's going to win. We need to learn. We need to know. We want to know who the winners are. So check them out. I, I saw this years ago and I never, I haven't seen it really well implemented yet. And it was a, a tool that allowed, it was held away assets, data aggregation, but it gave you an alert when a client, for example, had a CD rolling over or had something else coming due, some other you know, money in motion that there was now cash available. They sold something, they did something. And I, I've seen little bits and pieces of this and everyone has data aggregation in some form, but it's not active. It just shows you the screen and you've got to then figure out, was well, that something I should deal with or is that something I should deal with? Um, so that's always interesting to see how that works. And so, so how, how would you explain how the, the money in motion will work going forward uh, and have better financial lives. And, you know, to the extent that the right client, the, the best client is a client that needs and wants help and values it. Uh, it is in fact, um, some of the folks who, who have gained um, financial success from crypto because it usually comes suddenly, often it's unexpected and they're not prepared to deal with it. You know, and they don't have um, asset allocation or financial planning frameworks or any of that stuff. 
it's not like they've been growing 5% per year or 3% per year for the last 20 years. And finally, you know, now they've, they've reached the net worth they need. It's that they made, you know, 10 million bucks last year on a trade. And what now should, should I make another hundred trades to capture the same magic? And so it is an ideal client type for an advisor, but the advisor has to be fully conversant in, in the language that has allowed this person to build these assets. And that means knowing everything from, you know, some of the basics of what does it mean to, uh, to mine and to stake and to validate and to, and, and how the trading works, but also much more deeply where the value in the ecosystem is going, which is around digital objects, NFTs, art, video games, blockchain-based games, and so on. And you led into the next topic perfectly. So looking something advisors should be concerned about for at least higher net worth, advisors that deal with higher net worth people, is this new asset class you just mentioned, NFTs. So can you just do the quick 30-second NFT overview, then let's figure out how we can explain why advisors need to be concerned about this. Sure. So NFTs stand for non-fungible tokens. Uh, that just means a, a token that's unique rather than a token that is equal to another token of a similar type. You know, a, a dollar is a token that is similar to another dollar, uh, whereas the Mona Lisa is non-fungible. There's only one of it. And in fact, any two drawings you make or I make uh, or two songs that we, that we sing, those will be separate and distinct. And so NFTs are really just a wrapper. <clears throat> They're a digital object um, that is now being used for media assets. So any media asset that you can think of historically over the last two decades has been price compressed. And in fact, it's been price compressed to nothing because you can copy and paste it and distribute it to infinity. Like music. Um, like music. Or yep. movies. You can download a movie off, off, off somewhere for free and you know, pirate it. Yeah. And if I send you a copy of my version of an MP3, we both have it. You know, so there's no scarcity, which means there's no value. And so the only business model that has emerged out of that is, uh, is, is trying to turn our attention in the consumption of the music or the art into a product, uh, which has led to this attention-based or, or advertising-based world that we live in. Uh, and, and has created a fairly dystopian and, and strange society. And so the repackaging that NFTs offer is that every digital object is actually scarce and unique. So if I were to send you my NFT of a picture, or if I were to send you my NFT of a music file, I would no longer have it, which, which means you can pay me for it. Um, and some people will say that this is bad. Isn't it great that we can just send each other pirated textbooks? And isn't it great that we all have the world's music uh, available to everybody? And I think this is a useful and valuable vision of the world. At the same time, I think it's wrong to have no markets for creative goods, for artistic goods. And so we're in the beginning stages of developing economic systems for having digital objects that, that make sense, that look like books, that look like um, things we value in the real world. And so that opens up uh, investment opportunities uh, that look a, a lot like the art market, that look a lot like 
um, the financial attributes of the, the music industry, royalties, things of that nature. You know, so if you're an advisor and your clients are um, athletes who do endorsement deals, or if they are, uh, you know, musicians who get paid largely through um, through royalties on a catalog or things of that nature, or you know, if you're working with folks in the uh, in the movie business and a hit-driven movie business, um, you would be very familiar with these economic structures, and they are becoming. Um, they're becoming digital. They're becoming liquid, meaning you can you can buy and sell them and invest in them, uh, and they're becoming quite valuable. And uh, some news which you posted on LinkedIn: Axie Infinity sold two billion dollars of NFTs. So this is not just some people in the, some kids in the basement trading with each other. This is big money. Uh, and you know, possibly it's two kids in the basement worth a billion each, <laughs> um, which again goes to the point of. There are multiple decamillionaires in the, who are teenagers or who are um, in their 20s who can really use some advisory help, but you can't be patronizing about their activity. You have to really right. understand what it is. You know, for Axie, um, Axie uh, became very popular in the Philippines uh, as well as in other parts of Southeast Asia. And um, people are playing that game uh, over working local minimum wage jobs because it is more financially rewarding to be paid in the crypto rewards of that particular game than it is to, um, you know, to work doing menial labor in the real economy. Um, and so th th there's some strange outcomes, but these, these virtual uh, communities and economies and games, they're going to be places where people go to work in the next several decades. They will be places where livelihoods are made. And if you think this is weird, just think about YouTube. You know, YouTube is a user-generated content site that everybody thought was for pictures of dogs on skateboards. Um, and there are thousands of people making uh, a serious living off of uh, generating content for, uh, for these networks today already. And a reason why advisors should understand this is because it's a new asset class that their clients could be invested in and they could be spending tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on just one of these things. And that's something to know about because you, you want to know where your clients are investing and you want to know that and you at least, you know, you may not have any influence over that, but you should at least realize that they've got a large portion or some portion of their assets invested in this, uh, in this, uh, particular asset class. I think it also has to come from the perspective of like, what if it is a required investment these days in order to be prudent? What if a prudent investment approach implies that you do have to be invested in crypto assets and that it is in fact irresponsible and destructive of your client's financial well-being to not be invested in this, right? If you've got, if you're young and you're full on risk tolerance and you're, you know, your, your investment horizon is long, um, and it's especially given sort of the macroeconomic structure of what the U.S. is doing with the dollar, I, I think there's some strong arguments to be made about why digital assets and digital objects are in fact, um, where most of the early stage alpha is going to be created over the next decade and, and has been in the next in the last uh, decade. 
Um, you know, and investing in NFTs and art isn't, it's not in any way new uh, to this moment. Lots and lots of investors uh, at the high net worth segment in use art as a store of value and uh, build out art collections. Um, and many people think that some NFT projects today are the equivalent of buying a Jackson Pollock, you know, or, or Andy Warhol or Picasso at the very moment of the apex of that movement, you know? And so um, I think advisors, the, the reaction shouldn't be like, oh, this is frivolous, uh, but rather the reaction should be, you know, what is driving the value in this market? Because like you said, you know, not only are some pictures selling for a couple of thousand dollars, I would say some pictures are selling for millions uh, of dollars and they're, they're being sold at Christie's and Sotheby's, you know, so if you need institutional mm -hmm. sort of rubber stamping, um, you have it. I'm looking at OpenSea, OpenSEA, which is a, a website that's uh, OpenSea.io, one of the biggest sellers of, of uh, NFTs. And looking at the highest last sale, it's a CryptoPunk number 5455. Last sale, 114 ETH, which is $379,000. Yes. And it's crazy. If you look at it, it's just a, a guy smoking a pipe and it's like, it's bad 8-bit. Like, it looks like it came off a of Sega Genesis from, you know, the 80s kind of graphic. Yeah. Yeah. I, th I think um, there are some cognitive traps in both directions as they relate to these assets. Um, one of them is, well, can't I just, if I, I just want the picture, um, and that's a mistake because you don't just want the picture, mm -hmm. you want to own the object, you know? So when you go to a museum and you see a painting, you take a picture of that painting, you don't have the painting. Uh, if you print out a poster and you put it on your wall, you don't have the painting. Uh, people would think that you're insane if you started to claim that your reproduction of the painting was the actual painting. Um, and in a similar way, what NFTs do is they, they determine what the actual thing is, the thing that has historic significance, that has cultural power, um, that has um, sort of the, uh, the origin and the provenance of, of the creator and the significance of the movement. Um, and, and in that way, your copy doesn't capture those attributes. The other thing that is true about NFTs is that they function like social clubs. So when you purchase you know, a CryptoPunk, you're part of the CryptoPunk community, which end of the day is a highly selective club of very wealthy crypto people who are um, essentially creating markets between each other. Um, and so as many people know, networking uh, is both useful and expensive. Um, if you want to raise money, if you want to find a collaborator and so on. And so people are willing to pay these premiums in order to be um, in a community that they think is their professional destination. Yeah, which is just similar to any community and any art. People buy certain types of art because they want to impress their friends. And those friends like that kind of art and, and they appreciate that kind of art, whatever it might be, whether it's modern art or old, old Dutch masters, you know, those have particular groups and they that's what they are into so yeah so think about somebody somebody taking the cfa exam so I, I i i got through two of them i didn't finish the third um there's a lot of there's a lot of work in taking the cfa exam 
there's an opportunity cost to the CFA exam, which is probably dozens of thousands of dollars, if not more, that you could you could spend that time on other things. Um, and largely, you know, knowing how to calculate very complicated derivatives formulas isn't particularly useful because what you're probably going to do is open up trading software and click the, click the button that says rebalance. That's probably as much of that as you're going to do. Um, but the CFA exam is a test in order to generate pain on you so that you prove that you should be part of that community. It's exactly the same mechanic here. You know, it, it extracts a cost for belonging, even though the shape of that cost, I think, for many people who consider themselves serious financial professionals, is not a shape that they're familiar with and is therefore alienating. Um, but the commonalities are there. Right. Yeah, it's, it's very similar. It's just, it's just a whole new world and a whole a very different way of looking at things. That, that people who are, who are mired in the old world don't understand. Indeed. Lex, we have run out of time again. And we didn't even touch half the things we want to talk about, but I think that's okay. So where can uh, people find out more about uh, Consensus and MetaMask? Absolutely. Uh, I try to be very easy to find, so you can get me on Twitter or LinkedIn as Lex Sokolin. Um, and then for Consensus, check out consensus.net. If you're a government and you want some central bank digital currency, please come and talk to us. Um, you know, if you're if you're a firm that is trying to access the the on-chain innovation activity, um, MetaMask Institutional might be an interesting fit. Uh, it's got an overlay for ways for firms to to interact with DeFi and and on-chain activity, and so you can see that at MetaMask.io. Um, fuss around the site. There's an institutional section. Um, and then finally, I do a lot of writing on the space at uh, fintechblueprint.com. I am a subscriber to fintechblueprint.com. So I'd recommend all of you listening do that as well. Lex, thanks so much for being on the program. My pleasure. Hey, it's Craig again. Here are my three takeaways from this episode. If you don't know what MetaMask is, please go check it out at metamask.io. It's a crypto wallet and gateway to blockchain apps. With MetaMask, you can buy, store, send, and swap crypto tokens. And you're also in control of your own private keys. So go to metamask.io and learn more about it. Non-fungible tokens are a new asset class that monetizes creative works of art or music or other uh, creativity and shifts power from middlemen to creators. So please take a look at, uh, do some research on non-fungible tokens, NFTs. You'll learn a lot. And uh, money in motion as a sales trigger for advisors and also an opportunity to connect with clients when they're experiencing a life event and need financial help the most. And that wraps up another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. But before you go, please head over to our website, ezragroupllc.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for our newsletter. Each month, you'll receive an email chock full of tasty goodness, including news and updates from across the industry. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. I'll catch you all again next time.